chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. This is God's word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This is God's word. The grass withers a flower phase, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Hello. I didn't want to take this time to welcome a few newcomers today, so if you could uh, raise your hand when I call your name, and uh, we will welcome you. David Kim. Welcome, brother. Uh, Chris Park and Chan Mi. Welcome. Andrew Kim. Welcome. Uh, Rosa. Welcome. Sitting right there. And finally, Angela. Back there. Oh, welcome. Awesome, awesome. As always, privilege and honor to be able to preach God's word to you this morning and to be able to do this in this space freely. Uh, watching that video is very sobering as we are experiencing not quite what the rest of our world is for our faith. Uh, I just wanted to say, good morning. Good morning. Oh, I love it. As my fellow brother in West Africa once said, he said good morning to his congregation, and they responded with this weak good morning. And he said good morning again, and they again responded with this weak good morning. He said, sounds like brothers, sisters, we have not eaten breakfast this morning, but it is okay because we are about to come to the table and eat from Scripture, because man does not live on bread alone, but on the Word of God. Amen. Here is some historical context. Let's jump right into our passage. In the beginning of the book of Isaiah, in the first verse, it said, the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of the kings of Uzziah, of Jotham, of Ahaz, Hezekiah. And here we reach our first king, Uzziah, or he was known by his other name, Azariah, and he had taken his rule at the age of 16 years old. Can you imagine that? And he ruled for 52 years as a good king. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, 
He had achieved great technological advancements. He had advanced his nation to the point where he is on par with David and of Solomon. But the high places were not removed. The high places in which still occurred idol worship. And because of these great technological advancements, he had grown strong and he had grown proud, which led to his downfall. And he did what he ought not to do which was burn incense in the temple, reserved only for the priests. And because he did such a thing, the Lord had struck him with leprosy, and he lived until his dying day, isolated, separate from everyone else. And we reach this vision of Isaiah, where this is not just a state matter, not just a national issue, but it is personal and it is profound for our prophet because him and the king were first cousins. So in this tumultuous state where there is much uncertainty, the king is dead and the throne is vacant. Or is it? The title of today's word is an appropriate response to a holy king. Let us pray. We join with all the saints around the world, those who are experiencing hard trials, and we say, God, won't you strengthen them, for it is hard for them to meet on a Sunday. Most of them have to meet in secret. Maybe we don't understand such things because we are in our context, and we know light discipline. But Father, let us intercede for them. Let us pray for them. Let us keep them in our hearts and in our minds always. Because we share the same body. What other God can bring every nation, tribe, language, and peoples together? Only you. Help us to honor you for who you are, for you are a holy God. And as always, let it not be my words, but let it be yours, O Lord. Help us to receive with thankful, open, teachable hearts. It is this in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the year King Uzziah died. That statement may be very unfamiliar for us. It's hard for us to contextualize that in our immediate environment. So why don't you try this on for size? 2022, the year in which Queen Elizabeth passes away. And because she passes away, the throne is passed down to her heir, King Charles III. Now, this is something that we not, may not be familiar with, but I post to you it is something that we are intrigued and fascinated by. How do I know this? Because a few years back, HBO came out with a series called Game of Thrones, where many imperfect kings and queens and rulers vied for what was called the Iron Throne. One of my favorite movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Black Panther, where the sequel is coming out next week. And the throne for Wakanda is left vacant because King T'Challa has passed away. Many rulers, many thrones. 
And what do they all have in common? They come and they go. You see, in the Bible, there are numerous accounts of kings, of rulers, and there is always a change of leadership. And they had their time to rule, and now it is over. And for all of them, it has long since been where we don't even remember most of their names, for they are lost in history. And here we reach this time and place where in our passage, there is much uncertainty because one king is dead. But there sits another, high and lifted up. One who does not have to be, but already was. One that that does not have to do good things in order to uphold his reputation of being good. He just does, and we deem him to be good. One who is holy, high, lifted up. The main point I have for you this morning is that when we truly encounter our God, we are given no other choice but to have an appropriate response. Three points. Beholding the holiness of God. Responding with repentance and humility. Being met with saving grace. Beholding the holiness of God. We may set our eyes upon many things Many distractions, many tragedies, calamities in our world, but our prophet Isaiah is choosing to set his eyes upon the Lord. Don't miss this, church. I want you to pay attention because I'm going to take some time to tell you about our God. What we are dealing with here is the majestic, the glorious image of our God who is set apart. It is said that he is holy, Holy meaning he is alone. There is no other equal around him, which means Allah does not have anything on our God. Buddha does not have anything on our God. No other graven image, no other false idol has anything on our God. He sits alone. And what is described of his appearance, it says the hem of his robe filled the temple. What is a hem? Many of us had maybe mothers or aunts who were tailors, and they taught us the hem is the end of the garment in which it is folded over so that no loose threads may come. And it said, God's hem fills this temple. And in this glorious image, he is not alone, for there are seraphim flying all around. With two wings they fly. With two wings they cover their eyes, and with two wings they cover their feet, because they must be in an environment in which they cannot see the full glory of God, for even they will be struck dead, even though they are holy. And what are they singing to one another endlessly even now? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They are singing this so long and so loud, the thresholds and the pillars of this temple are shaking. It is having a physical effect on the environment. And it's at the temple filled with smoke. And I thought, why would it fill with smoke? So I looked it up in Revelation 15 through 8. It said it's filled with smoke because of the glory and the power of God. Can you imagine? What Isaiah is seeing. When I'm trying to behold this, my only reaction to this is, it is 
terrifying to see God in the fullness of all of his glory. Terrifying. Way back when, I used to live in Richmond. And when I went to VCU, we would go to a local church called Grove Baptist. It's this huge church with two floors, like a stadium seating. It was televised. And I loved the preacher, Dr. Becton, one of the greatest speakers I've ever seen. And I just had him on this pedestal. And I'll be like embarrassed to admit that many times our students, when I would drive, because I had a car, when we drive to service, we would always be late. Always. So we would be known as the late, young, Asian, Christian people who always sat in the far right-hand corner of the second floor. And I said, I am tired of this. One day, we're going to come early, and we're going to sit on the first floor. And I told the two people that I was picking up that day, we're going to go early. So we got there an hour early, and we got to the first floor, and there were no one sitting there. And I said, you know what? We're going to go all for it. We're going to sit in the front row. So I took these two guys very reluctantly, and we sat down in the front row. And for the first time, it's amazing when you see Dr. Becton from afar and you appreciate him, but it's so different when your perspective changes and you see him just a few feet in front of you. And I was overwhelmed by the majesty and the glory from this service. As I saw the worship team, I saw him speak, and it was just He was larger than life to me, and I felt this awe. And then he began to speak, and he began to talk about his life and his growing up, and he said, I grew up in Texas, which means I love football, which means my favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, no. My image of him sank to the floor. And God humbled me in that moment and said, Brother Andrew, no one is perfect. We all have flaws. But before he shared this with me, I I had such this high view of him. And when I saw him just a few feet in front of me, he was larger than life. And I say to you, how would you feel if you saw God just a few feet in front of you? You would be overwhelmed. Because God, who is unchanging and who is holy, as he was in this account, has been from then till now, and for forevermore, he will stand unchanging and holy. God is worthy to be worshipped, high and lifted up. But we have made him to be Small. The great tragedy of our day is not necessarily that people do not believe in God. The great tragedy of our day is that we have made God to be small, convenient, accessible only on Sunday. 
It is as if we put him in a box and put him on a shelf to collect dust. And we labeled it open only on Easter, Christmas, and emergencies. We have turned God, who is holy, 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 into maybe, sometimes, occasionally, holy, when I feel like it. And I'll get into why and how that looks in our lives. Responding with repentance and humility. You see, the appropriate response physically for what we are to have when we see the holiness of God is to fall down on our knees and bury our heads into the ground. For if we were to see them in the fullness of our glory, in our physical sake, we would be struck dead. We cannot even look into the sun for a long period of time because that causes permanent eye damage. And the prophet Isaiah is physically feeling what he is inwardly experiencing in his spiritual state. And he said, woe is me. I am lost. I have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And here is where I relate. Because I have sinned many times with my lips. And because I preach from this pulpit... I will be held to a higher standard for what I have to say. I will be accountable to that. And when I am confronted by my sin, my reaction should be to repent and to be holy. But my natural reaction is to be defensive and insecure and separate myself from my sin. Are you the same? Not only have we made God small, we have made sin small. We either suppress the holiness of God, making him small, or we separate from our sin, saying it's not that big of a deal. And something that I'm learning is sin is not just destructive, but it is blinding to the one who destroys. Blind people do not know that they are blind. Why do I say this? I actually cannot believe in all of the sermons that I have preached that I have never expressed my loyalties to the local football team. I can't call them by their old name, and I will not call them by their new name. So I will just reserve to say Washington football team. 2010, we had a great draft. We drafted three guys from Auburn. And one guy, we drafted with a ninth overall pick, Carlos Rogers. Carlos Rogers looked so promising. He was so fast. He ran one of the fastest 40s. If you don't know what that is, that just means he's fast. And he was a cornerback. If you don't know what football is, a cornerback plays defense. They guard the receiver, the one who is supposed to catch the ball. So this cornerback either bats it down or they themselves catch this ball. We had him for a few years and he left our team. And if you know being a Washington football fan, if a person is on our team and leaves, 
they have immediate success, and they win a Super Bowl. So Carlos Rogers, we've had him for a while, and one of his teammates before he left, he noticed something, and he said, He's, you're squinting a lot. And he's like, yeah, I brushed it off as nothing. And the one thing about Carlos Rogers was he was great. He was so fast. He was always in position to get an interception. But the thing is, he could never catch the ball. He would always drop it. He was always there, but he would just drop it just plainly right in front of him. And he left our team. And the trainers on the 49ers gave him a physical. And they said, you need to get your eyes checked. So they prescribed for him contacts, which we never did. And do you know what? <laughs> he led the league in interceptions that year, and they went to the Super Bowl. This is the story of being a Washington football team fan. Great incompetency. But one of his teammates said of him, you know, he didn't have his sight, and when you're blind, you don't believe anything's wrong with you. You think you're fine. You think you're seeing clearly because you don't know anything else until somebody comes along and tells you you actually can't see. And if we have prescription, we know that first time we put on glasses, you're like, whoa, my perspective is different. How in the world did I think I could used to see before this? So it is the case with our relationship with God, when we see his holiness, when we look intently into him and his perfect law, we are met with seeing ourselves in the mirror. I garner most of you, get up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror, what do you look for? Do you look at yourself and say, man, I look great. Well, you might want to keep your ego in check. Most of us are thinking, I have so many imperfections, I have so many flaws, and I have to maintain my physical appearance. But when was the last time you took a look into your own heart and you say, I have to do some spiritual maintenance? I have to look into my heart through the word and see how ugly it really is. Challenging, I know. Prophet Isaiah is experiencing this. He is deeply repentant over his sin. And he says something very interesting. He said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Because when you see this true state of your own sin, you also see the state that the world is in. And our world is in deep, troubling sin. So what is the answer for us? We're met with saving grace. I don't know about you, but I need this passage. And if I could be frank, I'm just beginning to, to know that as the years go by, I grow more comfortable, I grow more complacent, more bitter, more cynical. And it goes unwatched sometimes. It's so subtle. Rather than burying my head into the ground, falling to my knees in prayer, I reach up for a glass from the alcohol cabinet because that's just so much easier. Rather than 
steep deeply into God's word and his scripture, which is life-giving. I would rather numb myself and just veg out on entertainment. Are you the same? Somewhere along the way, my heart became bitter and numb and cold, and I am in need of a drastic overhaul of my heart, and I cannot save myself. I've been thinking a lot more about my dying day. Death is fresh on my mind because I had a close friend who passed away a couple weeks ago. And the thing I can't reconcile in my heart is that he was not a believer. And if you go to a funeral and you leave unchanged, I question where the state of your heart is. It disallows you to leave without being interrupted in your life. Because the thing is, we will all one day stand before the one who is on the throne. And we will all give an account for what we did in this life. And so what reason will you give to God for allowing you into heaven? I worked hard in my life, and I was a good person. And I say, how dare you say such a thing in the presence of a holy God? There is but only one answer that suffices. God does not leave our prophet in dread and in fear but he commands an angel to take a coal with tongs and press it against his lips to cleanse him from his sin. And he recommissions him to speak on behalf of him to a people that are ever hearing but never listening. And he tells you and me, I have cleansed you from your sin. In Christ alone, through faith alone, Expressed in scripture alone, simply saved freely by his grace. Hallelujah. We are saved because our king chose to step down from his throne and enter into a world and trade it for a crown of thorns. And this king, he did not appear out of nowhere, but he always was. Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and nothing has been made without him. And we have seen him, his glory, full of the Son of God. And where is he now? High and lifted up. And his name is faithful and true. And on his robe, he said the name King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That is our King. I pray and hope we can always remind ourselves of that and see him for who he truly is. God is not in a box. God is high and lifted up. I don't want to leave you without 
helpful application. So here is three that I have thought heavily about for you in order to see a rightful view and perspective of God. Here is the first. Never stop being teachable. Never stop being humble. As I grow older, the propensity for me is to be less teachable, to feel like I know everything. What does anyone else have to teach me? I know you're busy, but the last thing that crosses your mind oftentimes is what have I learned something new about God? It is easy to be encumbered in what we are doing, but why are you doing those things? And I have been in school almost all of my life. I cannot wait to be done. But one grace that God has shown me in me being in school for so long is teaching me, Andrew, never stop learning. Never stop being teachable. Never stop. That is how we mature as people in God's kingdom. Never stop learning. Never stop being humble. I reread this book that has impacted me greatly. And I just wanted to share a quote with you. Uh, It's called Dangerous Calling by Paul David Tripp. And so he goes on to say this. There is nothing that will put you in your place, nothing that will correct your distorted view of yourself, nothing that will yank you out of your functional arrogance, or nothing that will take the winds out of your sails of your self-righteousness like standing without defense before the awesome glory of God. As long as I'm comparing myself to others, I can always find someone whose existence seems to be an argument for how righteous I am. But if I compare the filthy rags of my righteousness and I want to run and hide in heartbreaking shame. And here was something that was particularly sobering for me as I am in ministry. He goes on to say, somewhere along the way in ministry, too many pastors have forgotten who they are. They have a bloated, distorted, grandiose view of themselves that renders them largely unapproachable and allows them to justify things they think, desire, say, and do that simply are not biblically justifiable. I have been there and at times fall into being there again. And when I am there, I need to be rescued from me. When you are too much in awe of you, you set yourself up to be self-righteous and controlling Overconfident, judgmental, unfalteringly opinionated, ecclesiastical, autocrat, unwittingly building a kingdom whose throne will be inhabited by you. No matter how much you are able to convince yourself that you do it all for the glory of God, you do it for yourself. Very sobering indeed. And so as a congregation to me, I want you to hold me accountable. If I'm ever out of line, you let me know. I feel like I'm going to get a lot of emails after the service. (laughs) That's okay. I welcome it. I welcome it. Number two, never stop serving. Isaiah thought he was unqualified and being a prophet, and being a spokesperson for the Lord, because he sees God in his fullness, and he says, I cannot speak. But God cleanses him and restores him. And there's this process of salvation that happens. And for us, we get somewhere lost in the middle. 
We think, wow, God is so holy, he's so great, he's so awesome. I can't do anything. How can I serve God's church? I don't have any talents. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any time. Maybe you have served a long time for a season, and you said for one particular time, you're going to take a break. But one season became two. Two seasons became three. Three became four, and now it has been some eight to ten years since you last served, where you are so far removed that you have forgotten what it means to be in a family of God. And where you have numbed yourself to the fact that you are not only receiving, but you are to give. For the Christian life is an active faith, not a passive one. I'll do it later. I'll do it when I have more time, when the kids grow up. I'll do it when I graduate. Insert anything. And I say to you, do it today. Do it now. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Treat it as serious as you would a health scare. You wouldn't delay. You would do it now. This is the church. We are always in need. I don't know if you got an email, but we had a promo video welcoming media hilarious. <laughs> I forgot what it was about because it's so funny. But, but the point of it was we need help. We need people. Is the body to say the eye doesn't need the hand or the foot doesn't need the mouth? No, we all have roles. That's the point. It's different in God's kingdom, but everyone has a role. I encourage you. How are you serving in this season? Or has it been a long time? And finally, never stop being appropriately afraid. Never stop being appropriately afraid. Here, the thing is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it was the beginning of wisdom for Isaiah, and it sets the rightful perspective for us. One thing I've been doing recently is going through a lot of sermons from Billy Graham, called Billy Graham Classics on YouTube. You can look them up. And I'll end with this story that he shares. I'll try my best to do a Billy Graham voice. We'll see how it goes. He goes on to say, <clears throat> Today, I went out for a few minutes out into the foothills. Took a little walk down a little road. I don't want to go too far because they told me rattlesnakes were down there. Now, I'm not afraid of rattlesnakes. No, I'm not a friend of rattlesnakes, nor are they my friend. But we have a lot of them where I live. I let my wife kill those. She's not afraid of snakes. Well, she's not afraid of anything I've ever heard of because she was born and reared in China where she didn't go a single night without hearing gunshots in the distance. The town would change hands, there would be bandits and warlords, and finally the Japanese had come, and my father-in-law had a hospital there, and she lived there for 17 
years. And so she learned, my wife, not to be afraid because she didn't see fear in her father and her mother. A couple things I took away from what he said. Billy Graham let his wife kill snakes. I don't know how I feel about that. And the second, she learned not to be afraid because she never saw fear in her father and her mother. There is something there. We are to have a reorientation of what we are to fear. Maybe you're afraid about so many other things in your life and you have lost the fear of God. And my encouragement to you is to cling to, search for, find older men and women who know the fear of God and who will disciple you and teach you to be afraid. I think that term is lost in our day. When was the last time you heard that described of somebody that you know? Oh, this brother, he is a God-fearing man. Oh, this sister, she is a God-fearing woman. We hear probably everything else. But we are to surround ourselves, brother and sister. If you do not know what fear is, be with people who do. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It makes you see the holiness of God. It allows you to repent, and it brings you to the foot of the cross. Let's pray. Father, what can I say? What can we say in the presence of such a holy king? Sometimes what suffices is just no words. And our appropriate response is to look deep in our hearts and find the sin that still remains. And the only thing that can save us is the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of us, we don't know truly what that is and what that means. So I pray that in this time, you would minister to every heart and in every mind who has maybe forgotten or who has maybe never known that at all. Bring us to a place where we humbly repent and come to the foot of the cross. Help us to repent of our sin. May we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, who sits upon the throne high and lifted. Help us to respond accordingly with our praise. Let me invite you all to rise as we close today.